Hi, I'm Mike, a dad of two wee boys. And I'm Paul, a dad of two little lads. This is Balancing Dads, a podcast exploring how working dads can be present in their kids' lives. Hey, Paul, how are you coping? Hi, Mike, I'm doing fine, given the circumstances. I <laughs> I had a, a prepared story about my son, but uh, I forgot it. <laughs> this week we're joined by Derek Sivers. Derek, thanks for coming on. Could you t- <laughs> thanks, guys. Uh, to those of you listening, wondering why we're laughing awkwardly, we've actually just been talking for twenty minutes and then found out that it wasn't recording. So what you're hearing is season two, the intro again. Oh yeah. Derek, can you tell us a little bit about your professional background, first of all, and then we can get on to your childy background. Childy, sure. Um, so, I was a musician. Ever since I was 14, all I wanted in life was to be a successful musician. I was massively, singularly focused on that. I didn't want anything to distract me. But in 2007, uh, I wanted to sell my music online, but there was not a single business anywhere on the internet that would sell your music if you were an independent musician, because we just weren't worth it. We were not a good business model. So I just built my own little shopping cart. I had to get my own credit card merchant account, which back in 2007 used to be really hard. There was no PayPal. There was no Stripe. It was like a thousand dollars in setup fees they actually had to send an inspector out to my location to make sure i was a valid business i had to incorporate i had to set up a separate bank account but it was all worth it because after three months and a thousand dollars in setup fees i had a buy now button on my website and i could sell my cd on my site and um when i was done with that my musician friends in new york city said whoa dude can you sell my cd through that thing And I honestly hadn't considered it. It was really just for me. But as a favor to some of my friends in New York, on my band's website, I also sold their CD. But then friends told friends, and pretty soon I had 20 strangers coming my way. So I gave it a name. I called it CD Baby. I put it on its own website. And it just took off way more than I ever even wanted it to. Uh, It quickly became the largest seller of independent music on the web with uh, about a quarter million musicians and a few million customers. And I had 85 employees in a warehouse and it was awful. (laughs) It was too much responsibility. (laughs) Um, Made good money, but uh, you know, I wasn't in it for the money. So after 10 years of doing it, I felt done and I sold the company in 2008. And since then, I've just been a kind of a writer, speaker, pop philosopher kind of guy. And internet uh, hero. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and that my, brings us up to present. My internet hero. <laughs> there was gushing in the previous 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Uh, what happened? So, so yeah, what happened next? So that, that was all pre pre kids, I guess. Pre kid, I, I didn't mention the CD baby pun, but <laughs> yeah, I thought time about around. that. You know, what's funny is that after CD baby, I found a uh, a guy I knew started a little uh, distribution company called Distro Kid, huh. and I and I looked at it. I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like this is, if I were to redo CD baby again now in in this age, 
I would do it like this. Like it was just optimized strictly cool. for digital distribution. Right. It was a really cool service. So I sold my music or I put my own music through DistroKid. And it wasn't until like a year later I went, oh, kid, baby, I get it. I didn't get that. Like I never made that connection before. Was it a direct homage to you? I think so. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, so you want to hear about kid stuff. Yes. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I sold, sold the company and I was feeling a little lost and feeling kind of ready to lift my head up and travel the world. So I ended up in Singapore. Uh, it wasn't uh, a big intention to have a kid, but while in Singapore, uh, we had a kid. And uh, so, yeah, he was born in Singapore and I thought that he was just going to live in Singapore forever. Like, my kid's going to grow up in Singapore. How cool. So I did all the paperwork to make him a legal permanent resident of Singapore, which means that in the year 2030, he's going to serve two years in the Singapore army. And that all seemed like a pretty cool plan until he was about six months old. And then I slowly realized what it meant to grow up in Singapore because there's not really a lot of nature in Singapore. There's The nature is only kind of strictly uh, contained little parks where you can always hear the traffic nearby. Mm. And I think I didn't really realize till then that, yeah, to grow up in Singapore meant he was going to grow up in condos and shopping malls uh, and not have the outside stuff. And I realized how important it was to me to grow up in nature. I think it's just like a basic human need, you know, um, but especially for little kids. So... Yeah, yeah. Hands in the mud, feet in the river, climbing trees, planting mm. long grass, blowing in the wind. Like to me, that's an essential part of childhood. So uh, we had a family discussion about where could we raise him in nature, and I thought, well, ideally New Zealand. Like that would be amazing. So I went through and found out what it would take to become a legal resident of of New Zealand and did nine months of paperwork and did it. So right before he turned one year old, we moved to New Zealand for really the sole reason of raising a kid. And uh, I took a big life sabbatical. We can talk about that later, about the, the John Lennon comparison. Um, uh, took a big life sabbatical to be a mostly full-time dad from the age of, of zero to six for him and just raised him entirely in nature, uh, which I think has shaped his personality a lot. We're living in England now, and when I see him compared to a lot of his peers here, there's just a huge difference because he grew up entertaining himself with huh. sticks and seashells and stuff. But yeah, we can talk about that later. So yeah, when he turned seven, um, I felt like getting him some more cultural input because uh, New Zealand is almost perfect. Its isolation is wonderful for some things, but it does lack a little cultural variety. So we wanted to move somewhere with a lot of cultural variety and um, picked England. So now we're living in Oxford, England, but we'll probably move again in a few months, but that's where we are for now. So how have you found, you said like your kid's really, really different from the other, his peers in England. So in what ways and, and how have you found almost like differences to parenting and stuff like that between, I guess, the three countries he's been raised in? Um, and you can throw in the US where you're originally from in there if you like as well. It's, uh, I haven't been back to America in 10 years. So that's pretty far. Like, I don't know how to compare him to American kids, but I'd love to talk about this with you guys about the 
nature versus nurture thing? Because Paul, you have two kids now, and I'm curious to hear about the the personality differences. So I've only got uh. one. I don't know what to compare, but I read a book on happiness once. I think it was by Sonia Lumbersky, who's like a happiness researcher uh, in a university. And she said in all of her decades of study, it's been shown over and over again that that happiness is 50% genetic and 50% everything else. Like some people just are born with a higher set point of happiness. Mm. And that accounts for 50% of your happiness in life. So uh, you could just be born happy and then make terrible, miserable choices or whatever, and you'll still be 50% happy, whereas somebody who was born completely unhappy can do whatever it takes in life to learn how to be happy, and they're still only going to be at 50%. Uh, I just found this idea fascinating, but I definitely lucked out with my kid that he is, he, he won the happiness lottery, like, even as a little crawling baby he never cried never had a fit never has had a tantrum in his life mm. i just got really really lucky so i had to preface this to say that what i'm about to say with the differences of the kids around him may be because he grew up in new zealand but may not be um who knows but the way he grew up is was almost entirely outside um just round the, I was going to say round the clock, but I actually mean like round the calendar. Even in the middle of winter, we would just put on four layers and go out to the beach and play in the rocks and play in the tide pools. We'd play in the forests. We'd, And he's just used to entertaining himself with moss and a stick. Like if you give him a stick or two and some moss, you know, he'll he'll dig into some dead wood and find some bugs and just play for hours. Whereas I feel like the other kids his age that I see him around now have grown up with devices in their hand mm. and grown up playing video games. And we, he goes over to friends' houses and tries to play and they just like want to show him how to play FIFA football or whatever it is. And he just looks at them like, what? No, that's not playing. That's, you're pressing buttons. And, and they just have these dead faces staring at a screen. He's like, come on, let's go play. And to him, go play means let's go out, let's do things. And um, yeah, that's a huge difference. And I, I think he's learned to entertain himself uh, using whatever he finds in the world. God, if we ever find, when he finds a dumpster, and I mean literally like a, a dumpster of junk, this is like the massive jackpot to him. Like if we're driving somewhere and we see a dumpster, it's like, <gasps> pull over, we'll spend the whole afternoon in the dumpster just like playing with things, but he has no interest in playing with video games. Hmm, interesting. I, um, I, I feel like I'm one of the 50% who's like, starts off happy or optimistic at least, but, Make me feel like one of the other fifty percent. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are too. Yeah. Um, that is a little bit tragic. Um, we, yeah, and it's it's a very very difficult one because screens are everywhere. We we have it a little bit in the middle, definitely more toward the video game side of things. And Mike and, and I, have, with guests, have talked at length about screens and and all that. But um, we, our balance is that. He, he gets a bit of screen time in the morning and then he basically spends the rest of the day pretending to be Transformers or pretending <laughs> to be a fairy or pretending to be nice. uh, uh, some, some character or other and bringing all his friends with him. 
Um, but because we have, it's a city crash effectively, or a city Montessori, he doesn't, he, there's no space to roam. It's a really confined uh. garden area. It's, uh, it's maybe like 30 by 50 feet. So, and, and that's their garden area. And it, it's enough, but it's not, it's not a great big field. Um, right. On the other hand, w- when we lived in London, he did have that great big field and he did go exploring. So I certainly relate to what you're saying there. And it was glorious to see him wandering off into the distance and digging holes and standing in badger holes and, oh. and stomping on molehills. Um, it, it is important. It's a completely different type of play. Yeah. So do you take them out of Dublin often enough? not right now (laughs) oh right right, we're lucky to have a a, a rather large park uh, across the road from the back of our house so we're in that virtually every day and it's it's a it's a reasonably good balance for how close to the city we are um um, but no i i you're you're making me feel bad i we should take him out well so how do you find the difference between your two kids personalities massive difference yeah huge 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 difference couldn't couldn't be more different even down to like everything you spoke even like and i uh, the the number one just wouldn't sleep and mike's going through this with his number two right now but uh, at eight months we were at our wits end he was waking up every 45 minutes we couldn't do anything to get him to stay in his bed and even now we were still like he's in a a, a corona crisis pact that he's going to try and He's going to try and wait out the rest of the the lockdown uh, without calling in the middle of the night to sleep. Wow! Um, and he'll get it. He'll get a, a toy at the end of it. But number two, we put him into bed at six thirty, seven, depending on the day, um, and he sleeps the night. And incidentally, all, going all the way back to New Zealand, we're following this this guide called um, Little Ones. It's a sleep guide. And we've been applying that to number two. And we're like, we'll never know if it was because we didn't use that with number one, that he was such a bad sleeper. It was absolutely nothing to do with like this, this baby sleeps, he smiles, he chuckles. He's, he's a total, he's just, a, he's like, if you take your kids horse riding, the, the nervous kid gets put on like the really easy, safe, like wide backed horse. This baby is like the, the the easy horse at the at the riding stables. He's just wow. he's parenting on easy mode. Whereas number one was just oh my goodness, he's he's still tough going. But Mike, you you've had that experience as well, haven't you? With the uh, yeah, like completely yeah, we had ease. the sleep reversed. Where yeah, where number one, who's now two and a half, was just a bit of an angel when it came to sleeping, and number two has just been a bit of a nightmare. But I mean, he's he's actually like um, since I guess if. if a few months ago he's got a lot lot better so that's that's good but yeah but it is as you say like it is interesting just all the little differences you notice between the two of them i mean there's stuff where i think once you have a second that you you almost just kind of assume that that's just what children are like or that's just what your children are like and then number two ends up being completely the opposite and you're like oh oh, that's that's a thing i guess um yeah it's funny i'm scared of that i think like i'm scared to have another kid like, like my first kid is so cool that I just think, oh yeah. God, any any other kid is going to be worse than this. I'm scared to have another. And, and I think that's the thing. You you realize that that they're almost. I guess they say this about you know happiness and life in general. In that, um, you know, what's it? Comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. But um, e- even with your kids, you kind of notice stuff that 
when you have two that you're like, oh wow, like he does stuff like, and you know, if I didn't know that he didn't have to do that because his brother doesn't do that, then I would be like totally cool with it. But I know it's possible for him to just, you know, not do that slightly annoying thing. So it gets under your skin maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Interesting. It's utterly, yeah, it's ridiculous. But yes, def- definitely you don't get, you, you, you don't dip back into the bag and get the same thing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> good, nice metaphor. Um, so, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna change the subject. It's funny. It's I'm used to kind of um, being interviewed where everything I say, I just wait to be prompted by the interviewer. But I hope you guys don't mind me. This is great. No, please. It's great to be so, on your show. <laughs> um, uh, so, a month ago, when the whole coronavirus thing was just hitting full force. I sent out an email to everybody on my mailing list saying, like, how are you? Like, are you okay? Because I care. And I got uh, thousands of replies, and I read every single one and replied every single one. And a bunch of people, for whatever reason, told me that they were having a baby now, or just about to have a baby, or just had a baby. And to me... I think this is a great time to have a baby because at least for the next few months and probably longer, we're going to have to change our lifestyle to be much more internally focused, like focusing inward instead of outward and uh, exploration. And I don't know about you guys, but like when I had a baby, I just wanted to stay in with him all the time. Like I didn't want to travel. I didn't want to work. I just wanted to like hang out with my kid. Uh, so for all the people that told me they were having a baby, I was just like, hey, congratulations. What a cool time to have a baby. You could just kind of mm-hmm. let the, the world nudge you into this situation of just focusing inward. So what do you guys think about this? It, it certainly speaks to the theme that we're trying to push, which is being more present as dads and certainly being forced into it is a net good thing in my book. I'm loving the 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 new socially accepted uh crashing into it crashing a, a video call or whatever that like regularly at work there are kids on the calls in the video and there's no oh that's not professional or anything i think it's wonderful i think mm. i'm a huge advocate for kids being part of every part of our lives rather than just the the seen and not heard or or there's an appropriate time for kids thing i would say out with that and that's one thing that i'm really appreciating about the forced lockdown is that it's fair game now because there's no other alternative and it's interesting for me the variation from family to family so like we we've been finding it a bit tough you know it's not not the end of the world but it's you know it's tougher than the the normal situation would be um and it's interesting because i was listening to a podcast the other day that was saying how good it's been for the person on the podcast's family because you know they're having dinner together all of them every night and it's kind of funny that obviously for them the assumption was the way their work is they couldn't possibly have dinner together as a family every night that's just impossible with their career and with me at least like having dinner together every night is that's normal that we do that kind of you know I guess six nights of the week um, and the only reason that we don't on the other night is because you know I'm trying to be conscientious with having co-workers with awful time zone matches and all that type of thing and yeah it's just I guess it's funny because it's so much of it seems to relate to how things were before and it does make you wonder how people are going to look at things afterwards 
Yeah. Do you not think, though, that having a brand new baby right now would be such extra stress added to an already stressful period? I don't know. Mike, what do you think? I guess it depends on your way of looking at it, right? Am I correct, Derek? Did did you, I see at some point you were kind of vaguely into Stoic philosophy. Is Is that a true statement? Yeah, I mean, I don't subscribe to any isms, but when I when I read a book on Stoicism, I went, oh my God, like, this is how I've already been living my life for 20 years. I thought I was the only weirdo that thinks this way. This is an old philosophy. So it wasn't like I said, I want to do Stoicism. It was more like when I finally read it at the age of 43, I went, oh my God, this is, this is how I've been living. Yeah, I, I think I had a similar experience where, you know, there's a, a lot of stuff that kind of resonated with me in that and one of the little practices in stoicism that i've adopted that i quite like is you were talking earlier about it helps if you're in a cold country um is in in the winter time going out and deliberately not wearing your warm coat so you just go whatever you're doing you know say you're walking to the shops for 10 or 15 minutes and you just decide not to wear your coat and you will inevitably be very cold uh, but then the next time you put on that coat you'll really appreciate that coat uh-huh. far more than you have before and um, I was talking to my wife earlier today and we were saying like now is almost like it's the ultimate that for stoicism in some ways where like all the aspects of your life, all the little things, you know, I guess for some parents kind of uh, the nursery or daycare or whatever situation, like all, a lot of that stuff's all just been taken away and it really helps right. you to kind of think about like, well, what things am I kind of glad to be away from and what things am I like missing a bit? And then just looking forward to, you know, when things are back to normal, I would imagine I at least will have at least a couple of months, hopefully longer than that, of being really appreciative for all these things that I didn't get to do, rather than just almost like yo-yoing back to being entitled and kind of not really thinking about it. Hey, you're in Scotland. I think of it as Scandinavian summer. The, the effect that you're talking about, like the way that Scandinavians are in the summer when they've had this, you know, four months with no sun. And then once May and June come about, they just go crazy and just everybody goes outside and loves it huh. because they've been so cooped up. And I just realized Scotland must have that effect too, right? Yeah, similar. I mean, we're not quite as cold, but certainly we have the the shorter days and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, we were again saying to each other the other day that we're so lucky that the isolation is kind of happening uh, at a time where the weather is starting to get nicer again. Yeah. And we have a garden and like, at least in the UK, they're still saying it's okay to kind of go out for exercise and stuff like that. So it's, you know, it, it almost makes going outside a real nice treat, particularly yeah. when the weather is nice. And comes back to i guess with what you were saying before about how it being such a kind of good way of with kids as well right is that you know at the weekend i i pretty much like um rage built a playground in our <laughs> garden like i just went it was like right what can i get more or less immediately um while kind of obviously not breaking any of the recommendations so we, we now have a, a seesaw and a swing and a a trampoline and all that type of thing and it's just it helps so much with having a little two and a half year old who just like bounces off the walls otherwise it helps so much for him just to be able to go outside and jump up and down and run yes. about and everything like that i love it so derek you, you've spoken about taking time off to be a full-time dad and you've written before about that thing of being 
present and in the moment with your kid. What's your what's your strategy now that he's a little bit older? I guess in in the corona context or outside the corona context, you're you're getting some work done. What's what's your balance? Um I have a very sharp line between on duty and off duty. So um when he's with his mom, I'm I just dive into work and I'm just a workaholic maniac and then as soon as it's my turn to be with him, I shut down everything. Like phone is off, computer's off, everything's off, I'm unreachable, and I just lose myself in his world. So that hasn't changed. It's been that way since he was born. We've always just kind of taken turns, right? Uh, I've always been a morning person, so that helps. Like I'll, I'll be on duty from 5 a.m. until 9 a.m., you know, so that she can sleep in. Mm. Uh, and then he and I will go play from 5 to 9 outside. Uh, and then at 9 a.m., I hand him off and dive into work. So... Um, for me, I need that separation. I, I find it hard to concentrate if there's anybody else around. I have to kind of get into a certain mode. Um, but yeah, one of my favorite, I'd say the single most important parenting lesson I learned from experience, if you were to ask me to name just one, it would be this thing of um, shutting, shutting down myself in order to enter his world. Um, I had to learn that the hard way. I think when he was still a baby, when he was still like nine, 10, 11 months old, I remember that I would still sometimes like play with him, but like look at my phone and I'd always feel really icky about it. I just like, like, wait, it's like, what am I doing? Like what in this phone could possibly be more important <laughs> than my kid? Come on. So I just, at a certain point, maybe he was, he was 10 or 11 months old, I just stopped and I just made it a new rule. Like he will never see me on a device or on a computer because I will just, that's a different mode and I just won't do that around him. Uh, and so ever since then, it's just been my mission. Whenever I'm on duty, whenever I'm with him, uh, I shut down everything, including like in my head, like in my psyche. I have to mm. pause my ambition, uh, pause my my thoughts on whatever I'm working on and just let it all go a little bit like meditation like I'm I'm not really into meditation but I've I've dabbled just enough to know what it is <laughs> and um it feels kind of similar you know that in meditation at least the way that it was taught to me a bit is that you have thoughts that enter your head like oh I need to do such and such later today and you just let those thoughts go right back out again. And that's what I do when I'm with him. Like, uh, I just, I try to just stay completely empty headed so that I can fully engage in his world, you know? So uh, whatever game it is he's playing, whatever reality he's fabricating, I'm right there with him. And that's my mission. Yeah. Make me feel really guilty again. <laughs> I try. My, I I I'm aware of that, and I definitely had that rule of of no phones in the morning, and I'm I'm breaking it now with the the number two because he's so easy and he just doesn't require right. as much attention. Um, but uh, yeah, and and my business has been very much affected by COVID nineteen. So lately, I'm like, okay, we well, yeah, taking our taking taking it out of my mind is an extra challenge. Um, right. So to be fair, you know, he, um, of the three of us, I'm the one that like 
his uh, you know his mom and i are uh split up like we live a few blocks away from each other so she lives a few minutes down the road so when i'm working he's with her and when he's with me he's fully with me so i have more of a kind of uh a binary black and white yeah. kind of status of now I'm working now I'm not so sure. uh when I'm deep into work like that thing where I said that I emailed everybody on my list and like 7000 people replied hmm. for those 12 days I hardly saw him because right. I just had to tell her like sorry this is I got to answer all these yeah. um so um, Here, here's yeah. the thing that ha- happened in our house and uh, was exasperated by the coronavirus and it was the notion of working in the same room as my wife and my kids. And I, I was doing it to just be around, but it, it created this uh, hidden tension that I hadn't anticipated, which was the notion that we needed to give daddy time to work or space to work or quiet to work. And I didn't need, I didn't need that or ask for it, but it was just assumed. Oh, wow. Because I guess society assumes. Yeah. And, um, and, and Kira was really gracious about it, but she didn't, she didn't. She wasn't explicit in saying that's what she was doing, or she was having to alter her behavior to accommodate me, and that wasn't my intention at all. So I very explicitly changed the rule that if I'm working in the house, I'm I'm open. There's n- there's nothing at all that w- could prevent an interruption. Like I can be interrupted from anything because, and that's it's basically that's the rule. It's like at no point is work so sacred that I can't be interrupted by either Kira or either of the kids. And that's just the rule. And that has sort of created this peace that there's no barrier. I can, I can get my work done. And if I want, if I work inside, I'm sharing the company. And if either of the kids needs my attention, if I need to hold a baby for a few minutes, totally fine. I'll stop what I'm doing. If I need to play a quick little game with the boy, totally fine. If I need to run up and, 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 and set something up, totally fine. And that, that's been my coping mechanism whilst trying to, like, trying to maintain the balance between I'm getting my work done, which I am, and, uh, and being present for the kids. And that has helped. Plus, I guess, the ability to work after bedtime. <laughs> that's amazing. Mike, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I could, well, the funny thing is I do almost exactly the opposite. Um, so I've been working from home for, I guess, 10 years now. And then we, about, I guess, when Eldest was maybe about one and a half, we had like a, a kind of garage building, like a separate kind of outhouse in the garden, which the house had been, a lot of the, the houses here we live in are sort of uh, what was initially at least a semi-detached bungalow that's been extended up into the attic and then outwards as well. Um, and when they extended outwards, you can't get into the garage anymore. So the garage is now useless for a car. So it was just sitting kind of holding gardening equipment, bikes, whatever. Um, so we converted that into a, like an actual like standalone little office um, and naturally I run like cat six and power and everything like that. So I've got my little office and home gym and stuff in there. And yeah, so it's it's been interesting kind of seeing the difference between like being in the house and not being in the house. So when I was in the house, I think um, my wife found it a lot harder because if there was almost like, if he was screaming or something like that, then I would almost like come through and kind of want to help because it's like, it's hard to kind of, particularly when they're little, it's kind of hard to ignore that, particularly when you feel like you can help. Whereas she would find that almost like, there's almost a 
like, and I can understand this, there's a kind of Im somewhat implicit criticism there that almost like, I was working, I'm planning on working, but I'm going to come and help you because obviously there's a problem that needs me to kind of jump in. So now what we do, which seems to work really well for us, particularly during the coronavirus stuff where um, she's on maternity leave and is looking after the two of them, is we basically like structure the times when I come back and forth. So I stay until they're all kind of ready and changed and fed. And um, my wife's had a shower and everything like that in the morning. And then I go over to work and then I come over again at lunchtime and sort of kind of have a bit of a chat and can do stories or whatever, then go back, then come over later on. So she can kind of go and walk the dog and have a bit of a break and then come back at dinner time. So, but I literally have like all the times I'll be like coming over to the house, like in my calendar, uh, both, for my wife's benefit so she she knows almost like and if one of them is being a pain that she can be like right mike's going to be here in like 15 minutes seven minutes whatever but then also for work stuff as well so i don't get scheduled for meetings at those times um because that means that you know like my calendar is blocked off at that point if someone tries to invite me to a meeting it will say no mike is busy um and you know the busy maybe he is busy kind of watching the kids while his wife walks the dog or whatever but that that kind of systems worked worked pretty well i think for us so far and it's it feels like it's a sort of nice happy medium and it might be just a preempt a, a thought i was having while paul was speaking i think some of this might be almost the difference in our roles and that i don't i'm not a manager i'm just a engineer and um i don't have any direct reports and stuff like that so my work a lot of it is just like long periods of kind of focused work yeah but but i can basically decide after 5.30 or at random one-hour intervals during the day, I'm, you know, not going to work. And that's fine because I can plan around it. Whereas, you know, I I don't, my employer doesn't really demand much flexibility of my time for me from that perspective. Yeah, it's amazing. I don't, it, it's, it's really cool to have to discover what works for you, right? Like there's no one answer. Sometimes people read a book or listen to a podcast to try to get an answer for what mm. they should be doing. But it all just comes down to knowing your own uh, tastes or your preferences, what works for you. Yeah. And having a value system to, to base things because what you do is not necessarily what's important. It's why. <laughs> so I mentioned the John Lennon thing earlier. Um, oh, yeah. And when I was a teenager, I remember I was super into the Beatles as a teenager. And I remember reading an interview um, it was after John Lennon had died, but where uh, they said that in, I guess with his first kid, who was Julian, it was like at the height of Beatlemania, and he was just totally not there at all for Julian uh, or his wife. I think she had to be kept a secret so that the fans wouldn't hmm. be upset. And so it was a really bad dad. He was just not there for Julian. Um, and and uh, apparently the song Hey Jude by Paul McCartney was written to Julian because Paul felt bad mm. for Julian. It was Hey Jules originally. Yep. And um, so it said they said then when he had his second son, Sean, he just decided to do the opposite. Like, okay, I, I'm, I'm putting my whole career on hold. For five years, I'm just taking a big sabbatical. He just told his agent, like, the answer is no to everything. For the next five years, I'm going to be nothing but a dad. And this was only like a few years after the Beatles broke up. Like, he was still in peak demand. And, uh, yeah, he just said no to everything and was just a full-time dad. And I remember even as a teenager, teenager thinking, like, you know, if I ever have a kid, that's what I want to mm. do. Like, just 
especially those crucial like zero to five kind of years. Uh, I guess I kind of think of age like, you know, maybe two to eight is even more crucial. But, um, but yeah, just during those early years, like what a great thing to be able to be there so much instead of giving some excuse like, well, I can't really be there because of work. And I think like, come on, like, like your kid is more important than than the income or than this and that. And so uh, at least for me, that's my, that's my value system. It's like this idea of like, save your money. This is still my advice when people ask that people who don't have kids are thinking of having a kid and saying like, you know, I know that you have a kid. What's, what are your thoughts on all this? Or do you have any advice for a potential father? And I always say, yeah, here's my best advice is just make as much money as you can, save your money. And then when your kid's born shortly afterwards, um, just take a sabbatical. Just be a full-time dad. It's great. Thoughts? I think that's great. Yeah, I really like that. I, I, I think there's something, even in general, the idea of kind of laying a bit of a foundation. You know, if you if you are are planning kind of when to have kids and things like that, like getting to a point where you can, at the very least, kind of maybe take your foot off the accelerator maybe a little bit on your <laughs> career for a little while, then yeah. it's, it's not a bad thing. Because... I mean, this is maybe harsh, um, but my viewpoint with time is sort of similar to what my viewpoint was with used to be with money. And I, I remember I'd have friends and they would say, oh, you know, like I would love to have a, an X, whatever it is, you know, like the first iPhone or whatever it may be, but I can't afford it. And there's some people for whom that's the case where it's like, you know, they, they're not like there's literally not enough coming in to be able to afford stuff like that. But then there's an awful lot of kind of, I guess, middle-class kind of folks in in kind of reasonably paid jobs for whom I can't afford it is more a statement about I have allocated where I want to spend my money on other things and I don't have enough space left and I guess I see the same thing with with time I guess now that we're kind of having kids and in that stage in our life is that the things you find time for are very much how you prioritize things like for me like I got into kind of trying to keep a bit more fit and go into the gym and stuff like that before I had kids. And I think if I was trying to start it now, I think I could see myself definitely being one of those people where I say like, look, I physically don't have the time because I would have filled all those other hours with, with other stuff. And I, I think that's the thing when, you know, obviously if you're lucky enough to choose who your employer is and have a certain amount of flexibility and well, I guess you could even choose whether you want to fly forward with your career or kind of, you know, maybe again, foot off the accelerator a little bit, but almost like that decision of, am I going to work a 60 hour a week to try and get promoted? Or am I going to work a 40 hour a week to try and, you know, just tread water for a while as I spend a bit more time with my kid. And I guess for most of us, that is a choice we're making. So yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting hearing you say, say that Derek, because it's definitely something where I feel like you've, you've been able to go fairly extreme on that. Mm. Um, in, in a really positive way, in a way that I'm sure a lot of dads would kind of love to do. But I feel like even if you can't do that, you can probably still make some changes. You can still decide, I guess, as, as we've talked about earlier, like, you know, turning your phone off a certain window or whatever that may be to just kind of provide a little bit more space or push the needle a little bit in the other direction. I don't know. Nice. The uh, My kid and I play this... By the way, thanks for that example. That's... um. You're right. I've, I've made it sound like, no, here's what you should do. Take a sabbatical. Don't work at all. But you're right. It's probably finding that balance 
that works for you. Yeah, maybe you're only working 20 hours a week. You kind of go part-time for the, you know, then you ramp it back up or whatever it may be. But um, I thought you guys might like this. Uh, just happened a week ago. We play a game called the opposite game. What's the opposite of this? What's the opposite of that? And it's fun because the answers get creative, you know? What's the opposite of clouds? Um, and uh, so... I said, so I asked him uh, a week or so ago, I said, what's the opposite of being a dad? And he thought for one second, he said, playing video games. Cool. <laughs> That's deep. I loved that. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's known two of his friends who, uh, sorry, he's got a couple friends that are video game addicts, but he also has two different friends whose dads are video game addicts. Hmm. And even in New Zealand, he had this friend, like his next door neighbor, he and uh, this, this kid were best friends, but this kid's dad like never came out of the basement. He was always staring with a dead face at the screen, hmm. always addicted to video games and just was like totally not there for his kid because he was just playing video games all day. Yes. And that was a wonderful anti-role model for my son who was just like that's the worst thing a dad could ever do you know <laughs> he just never played with his son he you know and then of course i i uh get a, a something between smug and blushing when he tells me he's like not like you dad you always play with me I'm like yeah yeah the, the there is a middle ground though and i, I play that. i love video games i don't play all that much but um the four-year-old <laughs> he, he said to me this morning yeah can we play the switch and i was like um maybe and he's like can you bring me up and set it up so that i can be the goose and can you help me find a person to honk at <laughs> <laughs> well see that's playing together right. see that's different that's like yeah. that's you're doing it together i Absolutely. guess to him it's like playing video games means like instead of playing with me but of course yeah right. there are times when it's like you know he'll sit on my lap and we'll do minecraft together on his ipad yeah. but then it's like yeah. we're doing it together absolutely i lay the and dynamite he lights it <laughs> I, I mean i would i would definitely like um any game that is played i want to know about the game i want to see it i want right. to see what's going on i want to see the progress there's a wonderful ipad game that he's been playing called dragon box and I'm always pushing him to play it, but it's a counting game. And it's it's basically these little characters that eat each other. And so there's a one, there's a square who's one, and then he eats another one to become a two. And then you put the the, the characters you make into spaces to create little pixel art uh, creations. And it's so creative and so fun. And it, it's got all of this, it's got all of the game psychology that's either evil or... <laughs> motivational depending on how it's applied right. and in this case i see the good in it because it really it really kind of brings the kid into the game and they've got for every level there's something to show hey look i made a strawberry or there's a section on on like microbes and they're creating these little micro patterns and learning to count to me that's all of that is good like, that's only a good application i know exactly what you're talking about and i mean it comes down to balance it's right paul what's that game called dragon box Dragon Box. Cool. Yeah, it, I, I found it on, if you go on the wire cutter, they have a section on lockdown iPad educational games. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and there's some really good examples in there. But I, I yeah, absolutely. And, and even growing up, and I guess this down to my dad and my brother, like we played games together. We the, we the first computer came into our house when I was six or seven years old and we had King's Quest V, which was like <laughs> Roberta and Ken Williams. And we used to sit down together, my dad and my brother and I, and we would just 
we would sit and play and try and figure out the puzzles together and then we'd kind of get the puzzles we draw maps and and uh, it's it, it's a different thing i mean yeah sitting sitting on a computer for hours on end um in 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 mindless rapture i suppose <laughs> is it's it's a way to go and i've done it i've experienced it and i've i've had i've i've i would consider some of those experiences very rewarding in my life as well so i, I mean i'm not i, I don't want to say it's all bad but uh, i don't think it contributes to a healthy relationship and i my do i just love the the notion that it's the opposite of being <laughs> have okay for either of you have your kids ever turned you on to a show that they like and you ended up loving it huh <laughs> not yet yeah. i think he's still we're i mean paul and i have talked before about our shared love of dino trucks um, <laughs> but i think i think I, don't, I guess the closest thing I have to that is so we got Disney Plus for the two and a half year old to kind of have a little bit of sort of downtime because he's dropped his nap relatively recently and if he runs around the whole time um, he gets like exhausted and like really really grumpy so like so we're like okay he can watch like we can watch something on Disney with him or whatever like once a day and when he was napping until recently to kind of let him kind of have a bit of chill out time and then he'll fall asleep if he needs to fall asleep but it's been kind of nice going through that and like watching all the old disney films again like you know we watched the lion king last weekend Hmm. and um and wally which is one of my favorite films of all time and like all, all these kind of like little films where you can kind of watch them with him and like it's kind of gauging his reaction when he watches them as well like trying to figure out is he really into this or not and stuff like that based on often how much he kind of talks about it afterwards and how much he asks the questions and all that type of thing like yeah. it's yeah it, it's nice I mean, when he was um sorry i i'm totally got two tangents stacked on top of each other but when you talk about like noticing how into it he is there's this great story from when mine was uh when he was three or four i took him to his first like cinema like you know where you buy the tickets and you're sitting in there with a big screen and he'd never seen it before and it was the penguins of madagascar and so we got a bag of popcorn this is just like a little small town in new zealand right he so he's eating the bag of popcorn you know fist goes in chomp fist goes in chomp 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 then fist goes in and the movie starts and he's never seen a screen that big in his life and he held that fistful of popcorn suspended in the air for 90 minutes he was frozen <laughs> watching that movie like i like you said wrapped uh hypnotized it was just so funny looking down at this fist of popcorn that would not move because he was so <laughs> into it but um so an interesting thing happened this year so his mom lets him watch youtube for kids um, he and I just always play outside still. So like YouTube for kids just doesn't really enter into our time together. But she she lets him watch it. So what would happen is that every week he'd come to me telling me something he'd been watching that week. And it's usually kind of, he kind of babbles some nonsense that I don't understand about. Well, it's the crystal gems. And you know, so so Sapphire has this, and then, but then there's Garnet. Now Garnet is a fuse between Sapphire and Ruby, <laughs> and this and that, and then together, then Steven Universe, and they, but they, you know, they, the pink diamond used, and I'm, you know, he was saying all this stuff, and it went on for like two weeks, and finally I said, okay, wait, 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 you've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. What is this show you're talking about? And he said, Steven Universe. I said, okay. And so 
I later, when he went to bed that night, I looked up on Wikipedia. I was like, what is Steven Universe? And it says that it's actually like this critically acclaimed, great show that teaches good <laughs> morals and lessons. And I was like, all right. Well, then instead of watching like three minutes at a time on YouTube filled with ads and other stuff trying to sell him toys, I went and like downloaded the entire commercial free like four seasons mm-hmm. of of Steven Universe into MP4 files and like put it directly on his iPad with no, you know, so he can just watch it in VLC uh, directly. And most importantly, and this is what I'm getting at, I sat and watched it with him. I was like, all right, you want to see Steven Universe? Let's, let's start at the first episode and let's watch it together. And dude, it was awesome. It is such a good show. Mm. <laughs> I got really into it. Uh, it even has this great intro song that I can't stop singing. Mm-hmm. And But it w- ended up being a really bonding thing to do this together. And so now when he's drawing things, he you know he draws the Steven Universe, there are the crystal gems, and, and he uh, makes these quotes and jokes from the movie, and I know what he's referencing because I watched it with him. And, and, um, and then, yeah, that was about a year ago. And then a few months after that ended, he was just in the mood for another show to get into. And he said, he said, Dad, I feel like watching something about the four elements. You know, like wind and fire and and water. Are there any shows about that? And I said, you know, let me, I think there might be. And because I've I never saw Avatar, the Last Airbender, but I remember people talking about Avatar: Last Airbender just on Reddit or whatever. I would see people talking about this show I had never seen, and I knew it was something about a kid and the the elements. Huh. And so again, I like went to Wikipedia to see like, is this a quality show? And again, Wikipedia was just like, you know, critically acclaimed. This is a great show. One of the best, you know, series or whatever. And so same thing. I went and like downloaded all three seasons of Avatar The Last Airbender. And we made it a real like father-son thing. Like once a night before bed, we would like sit down and watch one episode together. And what's actually really cute is we kind of, we always do it like with our heads touching. Like we kind of like lean our heads into each other cheek to cheek and watch the show. (laughs) And, um... Yeah, again, amazing show. So good. Like one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Cool. Um, and it was just a really bonding thing. And so, you know, we'll like watch an episode of that. The next time we go out to play, he's like, all right, now I'm a waterbender. You be mm-hmm. the firebender. We're going to fight. You know, and mm-hmm. like, you know, just kind of merges into our play. And now it's like this thing that we have in common. So, you know, before yeah. a year ago, I would have been very um, dogmatic to say screens are bad watching things is bad etc but i don't know done this way it can be a bonding not a separating thing hugely hugely i your question threw me a little bit because i don't think yeah as as mike said i think we're at an age where he will go and discover things but the number of shows that are in our collective family psyche because he watches he doesn't just watch the shows they become a part of him the characters right. yesterday there was a two hour long role play where uh four-year-old was megatron <laughs> and this kid has a calling he was megatron from the transformers <laughs> and i was starscream 
and we were plotting our evil plans together. And I was saying, that's so evil, Megatron. And he said, isn't it? Isn't it? We were, we were just being super, we were being super villains together. Because normally it's like, I'm Optimus Prime and who do you want to be? And I'll be, I'll be Bumblebee. Oh yeah, cool. But there was, there was a, oh, there was a perverse pleasure that he finally decided to be the bad guy. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, show like there there are so many good shows and so many so many educational shows. We Netflix just launched a thing called Dinosaur Train and it's it is a it, it's a, t- a school level uh paleontology learning program wrapped up in a cartoon. Like this it's way more educational than it is cartoony. He's cool. he just laps it up. There are people doing really really great things. The the, the biggest thing that I've enjoyed getting into recently is Helpsters, which is on Apple TV Plus. And uh, I, I'm total fanboy on it right now. Um, I tweeted saying it was really good. And the creator, Tim McKeown, he wrote back saying, thank you on Twitter. And that was my super fanboy. I was like, how did that even happen? Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a Henson Sesame Street style monsters uh, just solving problems and it's got great music great characters great concept um the kid he i was like hey we'll try this and he was like i don't want to watch that like three minutes in he was like this is amazing um and it's uh, yeah it's just it's it's all really really sweet really really great um stories and absolutely we watch it together and we talk about it together and, and uh, i'm and i think if you just sit and watch tv for hours you're it, there's there's a problem but if you use it as a jumping off point for imagination then i i think it's i think it's wonderful right. it's funny because we've always read lots of like bedtime stories to the two and a half year old and he he's really into his stories but it, that's it's changed relatively recently in that i can't remember he wanted some time for me to read a story and i had my hands full so i just created this character called mega pig who's <laughs> effectively just superman who's a pig because i'm not very creative like that um but it, it's been fascinating so now he will often ask for mega pig <laughs> stories rather than being read stories yeah. but you can see that he's starting to use it to like almost like process his thoughts and his day and stuff so like he cool. got I, I mentioned earlier he got a, a kind of new trampoline so he you know he would go and jump up down and play on it and then you know later on that evening he'd be like tell the story about mega pig and mega pig's daddy and the new trampoline and it's kind of funny seeing him almost like he obviously wants to kind of like talk about things and think about things but in this like somewhat abstract way where like he doesn't ever pretend to be mega pig but yet Megapig seems to do lots of the things that he has in his life, which is, yeah, it's. That's so cool. Um, there are a couple sci-fi-ish movies that, ha- sorry, I'm totally changing the subject. So, heads up. <laughs> um, there are a couple sci-fi movies that have this idea of um, like future memories being implanted into a kid. So I think there was a, a movie called um, Dark City um, where the key to this guy escaping this horrible world he was in was actually implanted into his dreams when he was much younger, something like that. So if he pays attention to his dreams, they're going to guide him you know, out of the prison. Um, and I like this idea of things that are going to stick in our kid's memory they're going to stick there regardless. So they should be 
good things, or we can kind、mm. of help guide them.、Mm. So, hold on to that idea for a second. In the song "Hey Jude,"、uh, there is a line that, as a teenager, just like always stuck with me, where he goes,、uh, "Well, you know that it's a fool who plays it cool by making his world." A little colder, and whenever like that line stuck with me, and there were a few times later in life, as like a teenager, that I had this choice where I could have <laughs> been colder, and I thought, you know, no, it's a fool who plays it cool. <laughs> I'm making his world a little colder. Like that lesson in that memorable memory stuck with me, right? So now, my kids like. Two years old, and every night I'm singing him lullabies to sleep. This is like part of our nightly routine. Ever since he was born, I would would sing him, and I had this collection of maybe fifteen songs I would sing him.、Uh, Over the rainbow, whatever. Hey Jude, yesterday, blackbird. I don't know, just a bunch of things. And then I'd been singing the same songs to him for like two years. So here he is. He's three years old, and I was. Singing, but I was thinking about this idea of putting a lesson into his subconscious for later in life. So I thought, well, I'm a songwriter; I can do this, and I've got lessons that I think he should know. And so I'll just pick one example, which is like a rule of thumb that's served me well in life, which is whatever scares you, go do it. So as he's falling asleep, I started making up a melody. Um, like Mike, you did with the pig, just kind of like off the top of your head. It's like I'm just gonna make up something for my kid right now,、um, and so I made up this little song that I sing him now、uh, at bedtime, which is、uh, "Whatever scares you, go do it. Whatever scares you, go do it. Whatever scares you, go do it. Because then you won't." Be scared anymore? Won't be scared anymore? Won't be scared anymore? Until you are, then whatever scares you, go do it. And I just repeat that a few times,、um, and it was so sweet that, like, I would sing that to him for I don't know a few weeks, and then. One day, like a month later, and granted, he's only like three years old with his tiny little voice. He started singing along、mm. with it, like he he knew all the words, and、uh, yeah. So I really like this idea of like putting healthy thoughts into his subconscious、right. through lullabies. <laughs> That's yours is just so poignant and sweet. <laughs> My equivalent. I sense a theme here, where where Derek, you present the、uh, the, the the platonic ideal of these, <laughs> these parenting, and then I just come along with my vulgar Dublin bearded version. But I've been trying to get him to brush his teeth, and he doesn't brush his teeth. But he hates cheese. So my song is "Who wants cheesy teeth? Who wants cheesy teeth? Who wants fromage fray?" <laughs> and so he doesn't want cheese. He doesn't want his teeth to turn to cheese because he hates cheese. So I cannot brush his teeth with this song, and he sings it back. So I sing "Who wants cheesy teeth?" And he's, he's I'm brushing his teeth, and he's like, "Not me. Who wants cheesy teeth? Not me." 
Uh, and Paul, what's so cool is like he's gonna teach that to his kids someday because he's just going to think like that's some you know old Irish folk song. Yeah, but what if his kid really likes cheese? Then he will uh, want cheesy teeth. Who wants pickle teeth? <laughs> well, that's the funny generational thing, right? Is that probably fifty percent of what we do, our kids will be to their kids like, oh, this was such a lovely thing of my childhood. Or I remember I need to make sure I do it to my kids. And then there'll be other things, maybe not 50%, but certainly there'll be some things where like, I remember my dad would do that every day. It was super annoying. I'm never going to do that to my children. Right. <laughs> but we don't know which are which yet. The, the one thing that my dad, well, apart from all the other little things, the one thing that my dad did that I thanked him for on his 70th birthday that I, always, I will always be thankful for, he always showed up. And I feel like that is the theme of what we've been talking about. He was just, he always showed up. Every, everything, games, piano, piano recitals, exam results. He was just always there. And that, I will take that. That's, that's my gratitude. It's a beautiful note to end on. Derek, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Derek, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you on the internet? Um, on the internet. I am actually on the internet. <laughs> Go to Sivers.org. S-I-V-E-R-S dot O-R-G. That is me. Send, uh, there's a link there that says contact. You should click it and introduce yourself and say hello. Thanks for listening to Balancing Dads. You can find us on Twitter at Balancing Dads. Mike at Mike McQuaid. And Paul at Paul C.A. If you like what you heard, get in touch or leave us a review. Have a good one.